the American people will soon find out if the United States is going to war. Fires are raging across Brazil's Amazon rainforest. At the stroke of midnight, the U.S. hit China with tariffs on $34 billion worth of goods. Hurricane Dorian made landfall with wind speeds of 185 miles per hour. Multiple drones bombed Saudi Arabia's largest oil facilities today. 60,000 people have fled their homes in northeastern Syria. It's like these 500-year floods or 100-year floods. They're happening every other year. Anti-government protesters in Hong Kong have taken to the streets. The magnitude 7.1 quake was felt from Los Angeles all the way to Nevada. It is one of the worst escalations of violence on the Israel-Gaza border in years. The world seems so unstable, so insecure. Everything is changing way too fast. But there are some things that are steadfast, things that never change. God and His Word. Randy Reams is pastor of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. Join Pastor Randy now as he shares truths from God's unchanging word. So we are in 2 Chronicles chapter 26. You say, well, you told the kids we were in Kings. I know, but in case you didn't know, most of the stories are, are of, of Kings are also in Chronicles. And so the Kings gives us just a simple paraphrase of what happens here. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 26 gives us the details. So 2 Chronicles chapter 26 verses 16 through 23. We'll cover the whole chapter, but I'm going to read these last verses for our text today. But when he, that is King Uzziah, became strong, his heart was so proud that he acted corruptly, and he was unfaithful to the Lord his God. In what sense was he? He entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. And Hezariah the priest entered after him with 80 priests of the Lord, valiant men. Yeah, it takes a whole group of brave guys to tell the king he's wrong. They opposed Uzziah the king and said to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the sons of Aaron, who are consecrated to burn incense. Get out of the sanctuary, for you have been unfaithful and will have no honor from the Lord God. But Uzziah, with the censer in his hand, for the burning of incense, was enraged. Nobody likes correction, right? And while he was enraged with the priests, leprosy broke out on his forehead before the priest in the house of the Lord before the altar of the incense. Uzziah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous on his forehead. And they hurried him out of there, because there's no unclean thing allowed in the temple, hurried him out of there. And he himself was hastened to get out of the house of the Lord, for the Lord had smitten him. King Uzziah was a leopard to the day of his death, and he lived in a separate house, being a leopard, and he was cut off from the house of the Lord." And Jotham, his son, was over the king's house, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, first and last, the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, has written. So Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the, in the field of the grave which belonged to the kings. And they said, He is a leper. And Jotham 
his son became king in his place. You may be seated. I sure don't want that. That may be my epitaph. What do you think about that? He does all this good, which we'll talk about here in a minute, and he's remembered for the thing he did wrong. But again, I, I want to set the picture for you because we moved off to Jonah for a while, okay? Joash is king in the, in the northern kingdom of Israel. He's a bad king like all of them up there idol worshiping, okay? But Jonah brought a word of the Lord for him, to him, saying, even though you're not so wonderful, I still remember Israel, and I'm going to bless some things for you and hold back the Assyrians is what happens. Um, Amaziah is king in Judah. God does some good things through him, but again, he gets arrogant, challenges Israel to a battle. Um, Joash wins that battle. Joash tears down part of the wall of Jerusalem, takes all the, a lot of the gold and stuff out of the temple, but he does allow Amaziah to live. Matter of fact, Amaziah goes on to live 15 more years more than Joash, so Jeroboam becomes king in that period of Israel. And uh, so when, when Joash dies, like I said, Amaziah, uh, Jeroboam II becomes king. So Amaziah then is killed by a conspiracy among the court. And Uzziah takes over as king when he's 16 years old. Man, you're talking about having to grow up in a hurry, being 16 years old. You're not just getting his driver's license for a chariot. He also becomes king over all of Israel. Now, the scripture tells us in the part we didn't read that Uzziah has a spiritual mentor who, who is a prophet. He has dreams from God. His name's Zechariah. Now, there's 30 guys in Scripture named Zechariah, so don't, don't confuse that with, with some of the others. We don't know much about this fellow, but in verse 3, it tells us who, this Zechariah had understanding through the vision of God, and as long as he, Uzziah, sought the Lord, the God prospered him. So Uzziah would seek guidance from this fellow, this mentor, the spiritual father, we'll call it that. He did well as long as he did that. Now, he's king. He could do what he wants, all right? But perhaps his age, all right, made him realize that he needed somebody to guide him, someone godly to guide him. By the point of our story today, when he walks in the temple, he's around 57, 58 years old. So he's my age about that time. And I guess he thought he didn't need a mentor anymore. Actually, Zechariah ends up passing away. But he does, Uzziah does some amazing things. He builds towers and defenses around Jerusalem, fixed that part of the wall that had gotten torn down. And the Bible actually says they built machines by skillful men that they used in these defenses that would shoot arrows and throw large stones. So whatever machines, and you could look it up, that's literally sort of the word mechanism that he, he created. So, so, you know, he tapped into these people that knew how to do that to build these defensives, you know. And so he may not have been create, that creative. It may not have been his particular gift, probably not at 16, but he taps into their creativity to do that. He goes out into the countryside and builds watchtowers out there just like sort of Solomon did, okay? Sort of protect the countryside, not just the city. He reorganizes the army. This is verses 11, 14, and it says this in 11. Moreover, Uzziah had an army ready for battle, which entered combat by the divisions according to the number of their muster. Now listen. Prepared by Jarel, the scribe, and I cannot pronounce that other guy's name, Mahasaya, 
another official, under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's officers. So what, here's what I see again. When he wants to build defenses, he taps in those creative people. He taps into them and says, how's the best way to defend this? They build these machines, uh, gadgets that allow the projectiles to be thrown. And then when he wants to build an army, he's got what looks might be an accountant kind of guy that counts the numbers and figures out how to divide them. When they go off from the war, he has a guy that leads them in battle. So he recognized these people's gifts and abilities, and he takes advantage of that as far as the military goes. With the aid of these fellows, they defeat the Philistines, the Arabians, as that's what it says in Scripture, and uh, the Amorites. That's verse 6 and 8. But he didn't just focus on military. The Bible says he loved agriculture. He loved farming. He loved the land. That's the kind of guy he was. Well, at least he recognized his gifts and left that military thing to the other thing and the creation of the invention to the other guys. But he really increases the production of agriculture in Israel. So not only is there military stuff and building, there's a growth in the farming community. Maybe he built a grange. And then in, in, uh, later it says he becomes famous. I mean, he's known all the way in Egypt. Matter of fact, one of the places he builds is down on the Sea of Arabia, not too far from Egypt. You can go there and they, you can see the towers and stuff that he built there. But he's become famous now. He's known now by the time he's in his 50s, he's accomplished the pinnacle of his field, I guess, however you want to say it. He's considered a successful king in all those ways. And by this point, being king for that long, he actually reigned 52 years. Many of those, those last, I forget how many years, I think it's, 12, 15 years is when he has the, the leprosy. But, but he's wise enough to know that the king's place, the separation of church and state, if I could say it like that, in that sense, I um, mean, the government supported the church, but he knew the role, his authority, his place of rule was not in the temple. Okay, he knew those boundaries. He knew he's not supposed to enter the temple. Only the priest can do that. Okay, so, so he knew that. But he overstepped the boundaries of his authority. The scripture says that he follows this fellow, takes the advice from this guy, Zechariah, all the days of the life of Zechariah. So sometime in there, we're not sure when, this spiritual mentor of his passes away. God's blessed him in all these ways, but he becomes arrogant like many. And you heard me talk to the kids about it. We think we got the promotion because we're wonderful. We're the best worker. And so that success has come, and and he thinks then he must be doing it right because the success that God's given him in all those ways. He he should know better. He should understand that the blessings come out of obedience in the sense here. This is God's law, God's law, God's rules, God's regulations, God's way of doing things bring with it blessings. It's not you that brings the blessing. It's the Behaving according to God's rule, law, the way he wants it done, just brings blessing with it. We can see that today. If you're a business person out there, there's business people, they're not Christians, but they know this. If you give to the community, if you give in some way, it's good for business. That's a Bible idea, right? You give, you receive. And it's not that that businessman is special because he receives blessing from giving. That's the way God established things to work. 
So even if you're not a believer, many of the principles in Scripture, matter of fact, you hear it all. Well, why can't you just treat others how you want to be treated? What do we need the Bible for? That is Bible. I've actually listened to a bait where the, the atheist throws that in the face of the believer and says, why can't we just live by the golden rule? And, and the guy, the other Christian fellow, almost starts to laugh. Dude, that is Bible. See, they know God's principles work because of who God is, not because of who we are. And he starts believing that all the success, of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm wiser than that last guy. You know, my dad, you know, how he went. I mean, there was a conspiracy against him and his own guys killed him. He lost that battle because he fought, and so on and so forth. I know I'm using my imagination for this, but I know human nature. That's the way it tends to work. So in the middle of this, he goes in to light this incense. What moves him to do that, I don't know. I'm, this is my thinking. Well, I want the blessing of God to continue, and there's this religious thing I can do. But that religious thing, the lighting of the incense, was restricted to the priest. Okay, God says, if you're going to worship me in those days, if you're going to worship me, you've got to do it this way. Now, today, we don't, we don't have priests we have to go to. But the principle here is, is you've got to do it God's way. It's no different than when two Aaron's two sons offered strange fire to the Lord. Not the way God wanted it done. Okay, he wanted it done a particular way. And we get into that process. So right in the middle of this, as these 80 priests, imagine having 80 pastors confront you. I mean, we're not priests, but the religious people today, the leaders, confront you. And all you do is get angry at them for saying, you're not doing this the way God wants it done, bud. While he's angry, he's still got the incense burner in his hand. He hasn't put it down. He's not repentant. God strikes him with leprosy. What's interesting here is according to Josephus, do you guys know who Josephus was? Okay, he was a historian um, in the first century, uh, Jewish historian who worked for the Romans, and he wrote a book called Antiquities of the Jews. It's multiple books, okay? Um, but in, in book nine of, of his things, he talks about an earthquake, and he says this earthquake took place when Uzziah was in the temple. And what leprosy, there was a crack actually developed in the temple, hit him in the forehead as in the light of God, and that's how he got this leprosy. That's how God brought it upon him. Now, that part, we don't know about a crack in the temple and all this, okay? But Amos, in the book of Amos, Isaiah's dad, prophesies and speaks about the earthquake that happened in Israel during the time of King Uzziah and King Jeroboam II. Matter of fact, if you get into the book of Zechariah in chapter 14, talks about an earthquake that happened during this time, during the days of Uzziah. Now, the thing is, geologists confirm that there was an earthquake somewhere around 760 B.C., plus or minus 25 years. So it puts an earthquake around this time. By the time you get to Josephus, you know, 800 years later, he's attributing that earthquake with the, connecting it with the leprosy. That we don't know. But we do know the Bible is correct when it talks about geology. 
One of the questions that went out when we did the survey that, that came from Ligonier and Lifeway is the Bible correct, right, true to the things it speaks about, that it teaches? Well, geologists say, yep, that there was an earthquake at that time. So whether it happened while he's in the temple, I don't know. But we know it's in this period of time that this happens. And because of this leprosy, he's unclean. Here's the point. You thought you can worship me how you want. I strike you with leprosy, and you can't even come to worship. He, he's not even allowed in the outer court of the temple. From that day forward, he's not allowed in the house of God because he thought he can do it his way. So you go, that's a nice, wonderful story, Pastor. Let's all go home, eat tacos, okay? And so I know I shouldn't mention food. It's always a mistake, all right? But, but what are some things we can learn from this? Number one, let's learn something about God. It's pretty simple. God says, you do it my way, you don't get an option. How's that for deep theology? Anybody need to write that down to take it home? God is sovereign ruler, and he says, it's done my way, or you don't get to do it. Or there's consequences to not doing it the way he tells you. We can go all the way back to Genesis, and you see that. I'm telling you, don't eat that tree. If you do, there's consequences to not doing it my way. So that's a principle we've got to get. get. Your finances, you better do it God's way or there's consequences to it. Your marriage, I really suggest you do it God's way or there's consequences to it. Raising your children, do it God's way or there's consequences. But for some reason, when it comes to worship, even today, we think we can do it the way we want. Now, I'm not telling you whether they're hymns or courses. Don't do that. The Bible doesn't tell us hymns or courses. Whether you can have a piano or you have to have an organ, don't go there. Okay? But the Bible does talk about our heart attitude in worship. And by definition, in worship, God is the audience, not us. And so one of the questions, again, on the survey that we, we did, you know, to really reach the world and be relevant, the basic question is you've got to make worship entertaining. No, you don't. Because if we make it entertaining, that makes it about you. You're not the audience of worship. God is the audience of worship. So when we start saying, well, you know, they didn't sing the songs I liked, or that was too loud, or this was too soft, or it was, whoa, 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 you're not the one it's for. We make worship in our world today about us, about that being the audience. But worship's about God. And he says, if you're coming to me, you got to do it my way. In spirit and in truth, I'm not going to break that down right now. Okay? That's what we really learn about God in this context is he's in charge, we're not, we do it his way. But there's some practical things I think we can gather out of some, some application to all this, okay? There are some things that are the seeds of pride, okay? A seed like that you plant in your garden, that kind of seed, all right? And one of them, I think, is prosperity. I see it in the United States, especially in the contrast to the foreign places I go, okay? And prosperity does tend to make us arrogant, how we treat each, skip spiritually, when you, I go other places and how people from the West, all right, so whether you go West from the West, 
and end up somewhere else or east from the west, other parts of the world or south. There is, we're seen as people that are arrogant. Why? Because we can flash money. And I know you don't think you're rich. Come with me. You're rich. Okay? If you make, according to richlist.com, if you make more than $32,000 a year, you're in the top 2% wage earners on the planet. Okay? So you are the rich, most of you, are the rich in contrast to the rest of the world. So we are prosperous, as you heard me talking to kids, compared to the rest of the world. And I know you're sitting in your house with your old pickup, and, and then there's Bob with his nice red pickup, and I know you say you're not. I know it's old, but he takes care of it. I mean, the other night, his was the only one that was clean, all right? So, so, but you might compare to that. You might compare houses and so on. And we tend to think, but you are. We get complacent because here's what happens. Sunday morning comes. But you know, I got this nice soft bed that God has given you in this nice warm house on a cold morning like today, which God has given you. Well, I think, you know, we could just watch on the internet. We can just watch on the TV until you get there and you see the games on, and then somehow it gets distracted. All those blessings that make us comfortable also make us complacent to the point when God says, you're going to supposed to come and worship me. Hebrews, other places, I'm not going into all that. Okay? But that's not the way I want to worship. I, I, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I'll come back to that. Okay, the other thing that tends to be a seed of pride is notoriety. That's the way I put it. I didn't even want to use the word fame because you can be successful in your field, in your sales and construction, whatever you do. You, you can be good at your business, the thing you do, all right? And people get to know you and say you're really good at that. And don't think it's just a business. My wife's been homeschooling since Noah, you know, and so, so she's good at it. She... She, she, you know, she knows it well. And I've said to her when the whole COVID lockdown thing and everybody else had to homeschool, I says, honey, you should start a blog because there's not a lot of people out there with 30 some odd years experience in homeschooling. You know what I mean? So, so even in the homeschool realm, she may not be famous in the world, but the people we know, they know Kimberly as go to her to get information about homeschooling. Okay? So when I say notoriety, don't think because you stay home or you're not of this or you don't go out and do sales and become the top salesman in the country. That's not what I'm talking about. But pretty soon you can start thinking homeschooling, we're good at homeschooling because we're good. I'm going to tell you what God has done in our homeschooling experience is God's grace. Because when we started out, it had to be God's grace. Okay? And, so, and God in his grace gave me the kind of wife that has the patience to do that and the desire to do that. So either way, it is God who gave us that, I'll call it success, or success in your area, in your business, in the thing you do, the knowledge that you have. We, we, be careful because sometimes we will literally think, okay, let me use the election, for example. Whoever wins it. I got here because I got a mandate from the people because I'm the best guy between the two. I'm sorry, the Bible says God elects leaders, not not you. It's not your talent and your ability. You might be Pharaoh, as far as you know. God put him in there. But we, we, we in that culture, I'm the best guy. That's why I'm the starting quarterback. I'm the, are you sure? And I don't mean for you that are not football fans. 
but we could be thinking we're the starting quarterback or whatever it is, right? Because we, we're, we're the best guy. Be careful. That can lead to pride, whatever your area is, okay? But the other thing that led to his pride, I think, was, was his position. I'm king. And in this position, I'm the one that's in charge. And he thought because he was king, and it says in there, calls him king a couple times in the midst of that part of the story, showing the point that that's what he was standing on is the fact that he had some civil authority and thought he can do church how he wanted or said he can close it. That's another story. Okay, um, but the position, sometimes our position can cause us to be in a place where we're more vulnerable to arrogance and pride. Okay? But I found it interesting as long as he had Zechariah in his life, his spiritual mentor person, the Bible says he did well in all he did. A mentor will keep you humble if you've ever had one. Why? Because a mentor will point out where you're wrong. And if you've built that mentoring relationship, you know that's sort of the point is to show your weaknesses and all that and to help you grow. And the fact that you have a mentor, somebody next to you that's smarter than you are, has more experience than you are, and so on, sort of humbles you. Why? You are looking up. I'm going to tell you, if you're the smartest person in the room, the most talented person in the room, you need to get in another room. Do you have a Zachariah in your life? Do you have somebody that helps you in that walk that might sit down and say, Man, I love you, but, you know, we've been, we've been friends a long time, but, you know, I just watched the way you spoke to your wife. I'm not sure that's God's attitude towards your wife. Well, it's none of your business. No, you don't do that with a mentor. But they also encourage you when you do right. You're motivated to do that. But they challenge you to grow in God. As long as he had this mentor in his life, he did well. But his mentor passes away, apparently, and he thinks he's arrived. Then he gets in trouble. Now, let's get real. Most of us would say we don't have a mentor because we don't have the time for one. I know that. I know what you're thinking. You're busy. You got got work. You got kids to run to soccer practice and all the other things that go on in life. But I'm going to tell you this, a mentor, or we call it in the church, discipling, right? Sure, will, um, Trust me, it's worth the time to take the time to find someone that will speak life into you. The typical thing is we don't, all don't mind being the mentor. It's not so fun being the mentee. This is Pastor Randy Reams, and I want to thank you for joining us today for Truths from God's Unchanging Word. This broadcast is a ministry outreach of Kindred Bible Church in Nampa, Idaho. And if you'd like to hear this message in its entirety or other messages, just visit kindredbible.org forward slash media. And there you can also subscribe to the podcast. If you're being ministered to by this broadcast, I'd like to ask you to consider financially supporting this ministry. Giving is easy. Just go to kindredbible.org forward slash give. There you can make a one-time gift or you can choose to become a monthly supporter. But if you prefer, you can send your gift to KBC, P.O. Box 32, 
Nampa, Idaho 83653. Your prayers, words of encouragement, and financial support helps ensure that this broadcast will continue to be heard in your region and around the world. Again, I'd like to thank you for listening to Truths from God's Unchanging Word.